You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, as, um, as an unmarried man, let me tell you what I think is the hardest thing about marriage. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm right or not. Um, if I'm wrong, feel free to just, you know, smugly shake your head and realize that I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, you'd be right. I don't know what I'm talking about. However, um, this is what I believe to be the hardest thing about marriage. I think the hardest thing about marriage would be the day that you wake up and you realize that what you expected marriage to be like and who you expected your spouse to be is not what reality is. As we've already said, I can speak not authoritatively about marriage, but I can speak authoritatively about relationships in my own life. Relationships that I have, there seems to come a time at least in, in all of my relationships, there seems to come a time where I have realized that whatever I expected this to be like is not what it was actually like. That whoever I expected this person to be is different than who they really are. And the question then becomes, what do I do with that realization? And, and perhaps our different answers to that question are the reason that many of you are married and I am not but there's, that's really not the point we're trying to make here. Um, instead, I want us to consider this same question um, for the times that we have encountered that same moment with Jesus. Has Jesus ever let you down? Has he ever disappointed you? Now, I know good Christians like you would all say, no, of course not. So let me ask that in a different way. God didn't let us down. Let me rephrase. Have you ever felt let down by Jesus? What do you do when the real Jesus doesn't live up to the expectations that you have of him? And you you know, the other part about this in in my own life, I've found that these moments normally come in seasons where I feel like I've really put myself out there. Seasons where I feel like I've really changed who I am. And I mean this both in relationships, human relationships, but also in my relationship with Jesus. It's these moments where I start to look at all the things that I have done, all the things that I've invested in this relationship, all the ways that I've changed because of this relationship. I can add them all up and I can present them to the other persons. I've been committed. And it's in those moments that I begin to say, if I've put this much into this relationship, I ought to be getting what I thought I'd be getting. So let's just leave human relationships behind though and think about our relationship with God here. You know those seasons in in your life where you decide maybe that you're going to read your Bible more, but then your reading still just falls flat. That season where you decide, I'm going to take, I'm going to go on a mission trip. And you go on a mission trip, but when you come back, you don't feel any better than when you left. You don't feel changed. You don't feel like you met anything there. You didn't feel like the spirit moved in you there. Or maybe it's just the reality that you wake up this morning and you think, I really didn't think that I would still be struggling with sin anymore, or at least not with this sin anymore. I really thought that by now God would have blessed me more than he has. What do you do when the real Jesus doesn't live up to your expectations of him? That's the very situation that we're going to find John the Baptist in this morning as we come to our text 
He's given himself completely over to God. He has devoted his life to, to this, right? To this ministry, to this kingdom, because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that the Messiah was going to establish a kingdom, a kingdom that was gonna fix all of his problems. And he believed that if anybody was gonna be winning in this new kingdom, it was gonna be him. I mean, he was the forerunner of Jesus. He's the very one who baptized Jesus as his ministry began. But instead, what we're gonna find is John is locked up in prison. He's under the lock and key of the very people who he believed that the Messiah was supposed to overthrow. Right, what do we do when the real Jesus doesn't live up to our expectations of him? You may, you may recall, okay, so we're in the middle of this series in, in the book of Matthew. Right, it's called As It Was Written. We called it that because over and over and over again, as we walk through the book of Matthew, what we find him doing is pointing out to us the way that Jesus is doing the very things that were written of him in the prophets. His life is a direct fulfillment of what was written about the Messiah. As it was written, so it was happening. And we see this really driven home with force today in this passage about John the Baptist, because John is gonna come and basically ask him, are you really who I thought you were? And Jesus is going to respond by saying, well, just look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing and compare it to scripture. And then you tell me who I am. It's a story that we find in Matthew chapter 11. So if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 11. We're gonna look at verses two to 19. We'll have the text up here on the screen as well. And, and if you picked up one of these Bibles on your way in, you'll find it on page 476. And, and listen, if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please take one of those with you. It's our gift um, to you. Let me read for us from Matthew 11, starting in verse two. It says this, now, when John, that's John the Baptist, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who, does not, who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has never arisen, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. 
For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. As we begin our passage, it seems like Jesus is not living up to the expectations that John had of him. He wasn't living up to the expectations that John had of the Messiah, and it prompted him to begin to ask questions about whether Jesus was the Messiah, whether he was actually the one who he was hoping for, or maybe he should start looking for someone else. Well, what happened, right? What happened to the John the Baptist of Matthew chapter 3? You remember that guy, the guy who declared that Jesus was so much greater, so much greater that he's not even willing to, to, he's not even worthy to carry his shoes around, right? What happened to the guy who baptized Jesus and saw the the spirit of God descend like a dove on him and, and heard the voice of the father speak out from heaven? What happened to the John the Baptist who was boldly proclaiming that people needed to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand? What happened to the guy who was willing to look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and call them a brood of vipers, right? The boldness of this man, what happened? What happened was he got thrown into prison. What happened is he was facing his own death, right? What happened is that he had spoken the words of the kingdom and they had landed him in Herod's prison. And from prison, from a change in situation, when the crowds weren't coming out to him anymore, but he was sitting alone in a prison cell, from there, the questions began to formulate. Right? John had an expectation of the kingdom of God. He had an expectation of the coming Messiah. And that expectation was not being met by Jesus. Right? His expectation of the Messiah is that he was going to come and conquer Rome. But his expectation of the Messiah was that he was going to establish this earthly kingdom, that he was going to bless everyone who repented, and that he was going to punish all of those who turned aside from his kingdom. That is his expectation. The Messiah, the messianic expectation, was supposed to set the captives free, and he was in prison. What do you do when Jesus doesn't meet your expectations? Well, let's look at John. Let's look at his example here. What did John do? John went to Jesus, right? He felt like Jesus was not meeting his expectations. And instead of running away from him, he ran to him. Of course, he didn't actually run to him. He's in prison. But he sent, he sent his disciples to go and to ask him this question. The most important question, right? We see it right there in verse three. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John brings his questions and his disappointments and his missed expectations and he brings them to Jesus and he asks him what the deal is. He asks him what he is supposed to believe what do you do? What do you do when the Jesus of reality doesn't meet your expectations? Because the temperament of our society is from the moment that our expectations are not met, we run away. The moment that you fail to meet my expectations, the norm in our society is that when Jesus falls short of what we want him to be, we go and we look for someone else. We go and we look for something else. 
the thing that our society tells us that we should certainly never question, the thing that our society says we should certainly never change is our expectations. That I can be sure of. What I want is right. And so my, what I'm doing then is I need to just evaluate all the options out there. And if Jesus doesn't meet it, I certainly don't go to Jesus. I go and I find someone else. But friend, don't put your expectations of Jesus in front of the real Jesus. Take your, take your disappointments to him. He can, he can handle it. But, but here's what's gonna happen. Be, be ready. Because when you come and you question Jesus, he will demand that you also question your expectations. Right? What, what do you do when Jesus doesn't meet your expectations? Well, you hold your expectations up to the light of Scripture. You examine your expectations in the light of Scripture. That's what Jesus does when John's disciples show up. John's disappointed. His expectations weren't met. Maybe Jesus isn't who he really says he is. And isn't it amazing the way that Jesus answers? Jesus, he doesn't just say yes. He doesn't give him a straightforward answer. Are you the one I'm looking for? Yes, I am. Okay, go your way. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Instead, he, he does this amazing, just for a few verses. Here's what he just begins to do. He just begins to list out what he's doing. He says, well, look around. Look at what's happening your question is, am I the Messiah? Well, look at what is happening all around. Evaluate my life. Evaluate my ministry. And so look at what he says, starting in verse four. Look at the evaluation. Here's what he says. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He says, how could you even, frankly, how could you even ask that question? You know, think about it. It actually begins, this passage actually begins by John saying, when John heard about the works of Jesus, that's when he asked the question. When he heard, then he asked. John already knew all this stuff. John knew that the lepers were being cleansed. John knew that the blind were receiving their light, their, their sight. John knew that the poor were having the good news preached to them. He, when he heard, he began to question why, because he was sitting in jail. And all of the good that was happening wasn't happening to him. And Jesus wasn't meeting his expectations in his own life. And Jesus said, hey, Evaluate your expectations under the light of scripture and determine for yourself whether or not I am actually the Messiah. And in many ways, what he does is he takes us back on sort of a crash course of chapters eight and nine of the book of Matthew, which we talked about last week. And those chapters, we see him doing the very things that are drawn attention to here. Things like restoring sight to the blind and causing the lame to walk and things like cleansing lepers and preaching the gospel to the poor. He's doing those things. But at the same time, he seems to be taking us on a tour of the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, which prophesies about the coming Messiah, which should be the place that we would go if we want to find out if someone is the Messiah. Jesus just begins to kind of walk them through that book. Let me just read for you some of these amazing passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 26, 19 says this, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy for your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Isaiah 29, 18 and 19, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. 
And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35, five and six, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 61, verse one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. As it was written, so it was happening in the life of Jesus. And so we ask John to evaluate, to examine his expectations in the light of scripture. And then he ends with this little line that may, may have stung John a little bit. In verse six, he says, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He says, I may not be doing what you expected me to do. I may not be doing what you want me to do. I may be blessing other people and not blessing you, but I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. I'm doing exactly what the prophets told you was going to happen. So don't be offended by me fulfilling the promises prophesied about me. Don't put your expectation of Jesus in front of the real Jesus. You know, I think there's a lot of people who are running into this problem today. Our expectations of the kingdom of God look an awful lot like the hopes and dreams of the kingdom of this world. Our expectations of Jesus and his kingdom include things like, like political power or material wealth, physical health. These are our expectations. Why? Because that's what the world says our expectations should be. Our expectation is that the world is not going to persecute me for following after Jesus. Well, not only are those not the things promised to the followers of Jesus, but actually the exact opposite is promised. We're promised persecution. We're promised that we're not going to be in political power. We're promised that suffering is going to come to us. That's what's promised. So evaluate your expectations according to scripture, right? Persecution especially. It's one of those things in some ways we, we are surprised when it comes. Maybe, maybe we should be surprised that it hasn't come as much as it should. Because the thing is that we should not be surprised when we find ourselves like John locked up in prison. When we're there, what we ought to say is Jesus was right. He said it was going to happen. And when I examine my expectations according to scripture, I find that he is truly who he said he was. But Jesus turns his attention. So the, the disciples of John have come. He's given their answer. They walk away and he turns his attention to talking to the crowds. He's still talking though about expectations. What did the people expect of John? And, and connected to that, what did they expect of, of Jesus as well? So he begins with this series of questions about they, what they went out into the wilderness to see. What did they go out there to find when they went out there to see John? So let me just read those verses again, starting in verse seven. It says this, and they went away, that's the disciples. And Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in, in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet, 
Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus turns his attention back to the crowds, back to all these crowds of people who are following him. And as far as we can tell, they followed John as well. They went out into the wilderness to see him. They're clearly looking for something. They're longing for something, something new, something fresh in their life. They have all sorts of expectations. And so Jesus begins to interrogate what they're looking for. What is it about John? He says, what is it about John that drew you to him? He says, was it, did you go out there because he was a reed shaken in the wind? He says, certainly not. John was certainly not a reed shaken in the wind. That is to say, John was not a preacher who was willing to change the message in order to please the crowd. John was not one who was gonna be shifted by by the winds of the day, by the winds of culture. You know, 2 Timothy 4 tells us that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Well, it certainly seems like those times have come. But if you don't like the truth, all you have to do is find another church in town. They'll tell you something different. Somebody will tell you what you wanna hear. You can accumulate for yourself all the things that your itching ears want to hear. But John was not willing to be a preacher who would bend the word of God to the expectations of the people. And nor should we be. In fact, in in response to these sorts of desires in people, here's what Timothy's told to do. He's told to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. All right, that's our hope as a church here too. So if you're coming here because you're hoping that your expectations will never be challenged, I hope you will be disappointed. Our goal is not to mold Jesus into who you think he should be. Our goal is to lift up Jesus for who he really is and to help each one of us conform our lives and our expectations to our beliefs even to who Jesus really is. Jesus goes on in his questioning. He says, did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? That is to say, did you go out there searching for someone who was sort of comfortably enmeshed in the power structures of the day? Did you go out there to find someone who dwelled in the king's houses? No, of course not. You went out there to see a prophet you didn't go out there to see someone who was being taken care of, who was, who was reigning in, in culture. You didn't go out there to see someone who had gone viral. You went out to see someone who was speaking truth. They went out to see one, someone who would speak forth the word of God, even in the face of the powers of this world. And that's what they found in John. He was the last great prophet, right? He was the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. Let me tell you, everyone who is preparing the way for Christ will find themselves in the opposition to the powers of this world. If you are preparing the way for Christ in your own life and in the lives of others, in your family, in your city, in your job, in your culture, you will always find yourself in opposition to the powers of this world, to the powers of culture, because the kingdom of heaven is utterly opposed to the kingdoms of this world. So do not be deceived 
into thinking that you can pursue after both at the same time. In fact, Jesus sets in contrast the gaining of this world and the saving of your soul. If you expect soft clothing and cultural acceptability, Jesus will certainly fall short of your expectations. And when he does, do these two things. Go to him. Bring your doubts and your frustrations and your concerned and your failed expectations to him and ask him to show you who he really is. And then compare your expectations with scripture. Don't be guided by the wisdom of this world, which is faulty and always in pursuit of itself, but allow the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the kingdom to direct your expectations of Jesus. And after aligning your expectations of Jesus to culture, if you don't like it, if you don't like the Jesus who really is, feel free to reject him. Feel free to walk away, but don't walk away from the false Jesus that culture is telling you about. Examine him for who he really is. And if you don't like him, and if you don't want him, then walk away from him. But don't let culture tell you the lie about him. Don't reject Jesus based on faulty expectations of him. Jesus gives one final example of, of the way our expectations get in the way of following after him. It's the very final thing he says in this passage, starting in verse 16. He basically says, some people will never be satisfied. Let me just read that for you again, starting in verse 16. He says this, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he is a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we're not gonna get into all the specific differences between John and Jesus and the way they live their life. But the point is simply this, some people are never satisfied. Some of us are never satisfied. We can point out, we've got our list. We can point out and complain about all the problems that we have with who Jesus is or who John is or who the church is. We can articulate well all of the reasons why we wouldn't wanna follow after Jesus, all the problems that we might have with him. But at the end of the day, some people are just simply never satisfied because at the end of the day, most people wanna be the one in charge. And the one thing that Jesus won't let you be is the one in charge. The one thing that Jesus will demand of you is that you submit your life and your expectations to him. Perhaps you've seen that, that bumper sticker that says, um, Jesus is my co-pilot. Seems to be the desire of a whole lot of people in this world. We really want Jesus to be our co-pilot. We want him along for the ride, but not in charge. Let me steer, Jesus just sit there. But let me tell you this, if Jesus isn't the pilot, he ain't in the cockpit. He will not be your co-pilot. If you want to be in control, you don't want Jesus because he demands full and complete surrender. If you want Jesus to be your co-pilot, he will never meet your expectations. But I tell you this, if you'll let him be in control, if you'll surrender your life to him, 
He will welcome you into his kingdom. And while it won't always feel good, and while you won't always like it, and while you might end up in prison like John did, I can tell you that at the end of the day, you will win. At the end of the day, you will find victory. At the end of the day, you will find the only victory possible because the only victory comes in Jesus. His kingdom will reign. So, so surrender to Jesus and he will fulfill everything that is written about him. Everything that is written about him. He will forgive your sins. He will give you his righteousness. He will fill you with his spirit. He will never leave you and he will prepare a place for you in his father's glory. And one day he will come and he will take you there. That I can say with confidence, he will fulfill everything that he has promised. He may not meet every expectation you have along the way, but you can trust him. And he will do what he says that he will do because his will and his way will always come to pass. And they are always better than anything that you've expected. Let's pray. Father, it's a, it's a hard thing to hold up our expectations to you and to the, to the light of scripture. It's a hard thing to be open-handed with things that we have lived our lives clinging to. And yet, Lord, that's what you call us to. So Lord, we pray that, that today, Lord, you would begin to pry our fingers off of those things that we are gripping too tightly that you would begin to set us free from our desire to always be the one in control. Lord, that you would help us to surrender to you fully and totally. And Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray that when we, when we begin to believe that you are falling short, that we would keep coming back to you that we would keep allowing you to speak the truth into our situation. Because Lord, we believe that your kingdom truly is best. It's what we want. So Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in each of our lives as it is in heaven. We pray in Christ's name, amen.